We know you have lots of questions. If you think that you've developed symptoms. Should I avoid large public gatherings? Whether schools should be closed. Welcome to Common Sense. Here we address your questions about COVID-19 with interviews featuring experts in medicine and leaders in community, public, and global health. Here's your host, Dr. Ted O'Connell. Welcome to the podcast, COVID-19, Common Sense Conversations on the Coronavirus Pandemic. I'm your host, Dr. Ted O'Connell. My guest today is Tim Keown, a senior writer for ESPN, where he has worked for more than 20 years. Tim wrote more than 40 cover stories during his time at ESPN the magazine and is the author or co-author of eight books, including four New York Times bestsellers. Tim, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Hey, no problem, doctor. Glad to be here. Uh, sure. Uh, kind of a roundabout path. I was uh, I went to UC Berkeley and played baseball there briefly and not particularly well for a couple years. Uh, wanted to get into broad sports broadcasting at the time. And I transferred to, of all places, Washington State up in Pullman, Washington. So I went from Berkeley to Pullman, which I think might be set a record for the most two most different college experiences you could possibly have. Um, went up there, decided after some trial and error that what I did best was write, which I probably knew beforehand, but uh, that that experience drove it home. Washington State has a very good broadcasting program, and uh, it turned out that you know the, the, the only job I really wanted was to be a baseball play-by-play announcer on the radio, and there really aren't very many of those, <laughs> like 30 of them that, that pay a living wage. So uh, ended up writing, uh, worked for a couple years at a, at a small newspaper in Marysville, Yuba City in the northern Sacramento Valley. Uh, went to Sacramento, worked at the Sacramento Bee briefly, and spent eight years at the San Francisco Chronicle. As a first as a beat writer for the Giants, uh, starting in 1991, and eventually left there in 1999 for ESPN for ESPN the magazine, which unfortunately does not exist anymore in its in its uh, in its paper state. We we are all online now. So uh, I've been at ESPN for almost. 22 years. I actually started there the last year. I was at the San Francisco Chronicle. I worked at, uh, I kind of worked at both places for a year uh, when the magazine first started, and then I made the switch full time. So I've uh, been a feature writer for for that time, Um, do like what we call long form features, which is generally uh, profiles of athletes or issue oriented pieces. So yeah, been there, been there for a while. Yeah, you've had a really interesting and varied career along the way. I went back and read some of your old articles in preparation for the interview, and uh, you've come across a lot of characters and, and interesting stories over time. I have, yes. I've uh, <laughs> I've uh, probably talked to whoever whoever you can think of in the last 20 years. I, outside of, uh, I mean, of the three main sports, I've probably come into contact with them at some point. Right. I understand that you have one son who is in residency at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center and another son who's in his first year of medical school at UC Irvine and also another son who's completing his doctorate in physical therapy at Sacramento State. Is there a healthcare link in the family that led all of them into healthcare fields or do they just find that on their own? 
You know, it, it there is a link, and it and it was not me. Uh, <laughs> I was the guy who struggled with biology in high school. So uh, my wife is a is a nurse and uh, is very uh, curious about many things, and and was the one who was was home with them while I was out, you know, talking to various sports figures. So she has been the the, the guiding force behind that. She has. Uh, they're all obviously very, very good at science. Um, our oldest son, who is, we have four, he is, uh, he took a different route. He's a detective at the, in the Napa police department, but the other, the other three have all gone into medicine and, and it's, uh, it's been my, it's been my wife's guidance, I believe that, that took them there. And the fact that, uh, they, they, they see what's happening in, in my profession and it's, it's not, uh, it's not generally good for the uh, for the long term. Right. Well, very successful family. So congratulations to you and and your wife on that. Thank you. Um, what have your children told you about how their training is being affected by this COVID pandemic? And what are they telling you about what they're seeing in the medical centers where they're, they're working and training? Uh, my son, Tom, who is the, the resident in Pittsburgh is, uh, he's an emergency room, uh, Doc, and he is finding that they are in Pittsburgh. the The cases are starting to ramp up a little bit, um, and he he's finding that they want the attendants, the attendees, to be the ones who deal with the the known COVID cases. So he has been observing for the most part, but that doesn't mean that he hasn't dealt with people. They just have not been have not been known. So um, he gave us a little scare a couple weeks ago when he said he had to intubate someone um, and that according to the CDC guidelines, the person did not meet the requirements to for the advanced PPE. So he did the intubation without it. Uh, turned out the person ended up being negative, which we were thankful for. But, um, you know, it just goes to show that they are they are rationing PPE and they are making decisions um, based on on what they're what they're being told and and also you know on on the testing I guess which is not you know we, as we know not not completely uh, foolproof at this point so uh, and my son who's the physical therapist is uh, he's in a, um, he's actually in a clinic right now where they're still seeing patients outpatient clinic and you know they're they're trying to do the social distancing, but it's very difficult in physical therapy because it's all so hands-on. So um, he's, you know, he's wearing gloves and he's wearing a mask, and they're trying to, they're trying to do as much uh, verbally as they can, and and have the person sort of go through the the steps without without actually physically touching them. But that that can be that can be difficult. I think the. I think the tendency is to want to get in there when someone's not doing it cr- properly and, and help them. Uh, and, and our youngest, who's in his first year of medical school, is uh, completing that from the dining room table, which is a little bit of a, a, different, uh, a different experience than he expected, I think. Absolutely. And, and just looping back to your son, who's the ER resident, emergency medicine resident, I, I understand why that's a scary situation for you as a family and for him. Intubation is a very high risk time for spreading COVID because everybody's in such close proximity uh, and and potentially being exposed to respiratory droplets. And our understanding of COVID nineteen and the guidelines around 
when you test are, are constantly evolving. And, and there are cases where we don't know that somebody has it. And, you know, then healthcare workers like your son are potentially getting exposed. So glad to hear that one was negative. But it, it just that situation just kind of exposes some of the, the dangers in our in our system and, and the lack of protective equipment. Definitely. And, and you know, as as the cases ramp up where he is, I, I assume they're going to be getting more equipment and and perhaps changing their their approach uh, that that was that was early in the the rise in cases in Allegheny County which is where Pittsburgh is but uh, yeah he's you know I mean they're, they're doing what they can his he's he's married so he tries to take off all of his scrubs outside and leave his shoes outside there's there are things I guess you can do but there's only there's only so much that you can't I guess you can't completely prevent it. You can just be smart. Right. And I have some friends who are emergency physicians, and some of them have even taken to living apart from their families just out of an abundance of caution. And that creates all kinds of potential, you know, family issues and and mental health concerns. And it's just tough to be away for an uncertain amount of time as the situation stands. Right. And as you know, doctor, that residents don't always have that kind of option in terms of you know, finances and, and mobility. So correct. Yeah. He's just, uh, you know, he's very aware of it. Uh, and he's obviously, they are in, in such a big, uh, system as university of Pittsburgh medical center, they're constantly being told how to handle things. And, and obviously the people that are in charge are, very intelligent people and and we feel confident in that part but it's just such a uh, especially in the emergency department you you're getting the the sickest people and uh you know a lot of people don't come in as we know until until they've reached a point where where it's it's now or never right right Tim, I'd like to dive into your work as a well-known sports writer. Uh, these interviews that we're doing for the podcast give us a really unique glimpse into different industries and different types of careers. And I feel like I'm learning a lot uh, in this process. And so is, I hope, the audience. How do you typically go about selecting a topic for a story? Uh, or is it a situation where the stories are kind of assigned to you? Well, it's kind of a combination. Uh, we have... Uh, we have certain. I, I have an editor who's assigned to me is essentially a, a manager, and uh, she and I talk about you know what what we're gonna do. It's it's oftentimes based on the calendar, which now is <laughs> very open. But uh, yeah, so we 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 go back and forth, and it might be a general topic that I get to pick the person. For instance, I for the NFL draft, I did a. a a major profile of a quarterback named Jordan Love, who is out of Utah State, who made all kinds of news on Thursday night because he was picked in the first round by the Green Bay Packers, who happened to have Aaron Rodgers. So that became kind of the story of the night. Mm -hmm. And the way that that came about was that we just talked about what quarterback I wanted to profile. I kind of had my pick and I actually chose him, which I think made her a little bit surprised because he's the, probably the least well-known of the four top quarterbacks. Anyway, I had watched him being on the on the West Coast. All my editors are on the East Coast, and they don't often see the, the West Coast games late at night. And I had always watched, liked to watch him, and I thought he provided a look into how NFL teams evaluate quarterbacks. 
um, and how silly it can become at times. So uh, it turned out to be a good call. I, I, I basically wrote about the guy that everyone was talking about after the draft completely randomly, but, but yeah, so um, that's kind of a, a look at it. Sometimes, you know, I have a lot of, through my years, I have a lot of contacts with people who will, who will you get in touch with me with story ideas or, or people that, that I know that I can get to that other people can't. Um, that's a big part of it. So it, it, uh, some of it's assigned, a lot of it is, you know, we, we stopped producing the, the print magazine in September. So we're still kind of feeling our way about how we're doing things now, because it used to be that we would have themed issues of the magazine where it was based on the NFL draft or the major league baseball preview or something. So we were more locked into certain topics than we are now. That's really interesting. Um, I was going to ask you how you chose Jordan Love uh, out of all the quarterbacks, but you answered that one one for me. And we'll make sure we put a, a link to that article in the show notes so our listeners can can check it out if they want to. Um, Tim, what would you say is the most difficult part of your job and what's the most gratifying part of your job? The most difficult part of my job, and this is maybe more sort of granular than you'd expect, but the most difficult part or the part that I dislike is transcribing. <laughs> I have to sit down with these long interviews and I have to transcribe them. Uh, I like to do it myself because it puts me back in that place that I that I was when I was talking to somebody and helps me with someone's tone or inflection and all those different things. I, you know, and the toughest part from a from a more macro standpoint is probably um, access right now because uh, athletes are are becoming harder to, especially at the top, they're becoming harder to basically to secure an interview with because a lot of them have have taken to their own path. They can they can have their own media entities, basically people like LeBron or or uh, Kevin Durant, for instance. So that I think is is the most difficult is just being able to execute ideas when they involve the high level athletes. And it's harder now that we don't have a magazine and we don't have a cover. You know, that cover story was such a huge selling point for people like Bryce Harper or Floyd Mayweather, people that I've written a lot about in the past. Um, and I think the most gratifying part is just creating something out of nothing. I mean, you just sit down to a blank screen every single time. And everything I do, every story I do is is different. Everything is a new experience. I'm never, um, I'm never feeling like. First off, I never feel like it's a job, which is really I feel incredibly fortunate to be able to say that. But every experience is new. I get to travel all over the world. I get to see things that I never would have thought I would get to. I mean, I was riding around three months ago in a escalade with Manny Pacquiao through the streets of Manila, you know, with armed guards around us and all this. The experiences that I've gotten through this job have been just incredible. I, I read that Manny Pacquiao article and, and envisioning you driving through the streets in that situation was, uh, thank you. you did a very good job of describing it. Um, the, the, the next question that I want to ask you, you've kind of touched on it a little bit in terms of getting access to the athletes that you want to interview and also kind of having a wide open schedule with sports not occurring. Um, but how has the pandemic affected the work you do, how you approach your work? And, and then the question about the access to stories, like wh what else, what are you doing to try to get those stories when you don't have the same access that you used to? Yeah. I, I travel was such a big part of what we do because everything 
is in person. I mean, uh, for, you know, ideally everything is in person. Um, and ESPN cut down, they cut out our travel. I mean, they were very proactive about making sure that, that they weren't putting their employees in any sort of jeopardy. So uh, for that Jordan Love story that we talked about, I called my boss, person above my editor, and I said, I want to drive to Los Angeles from Northern California and interview Jordan Love. It'll be at a distance. He's going to be working out. I at least will be able to see him interact with other people. I'll spend one night in a hotel and drive home. And they said, absolutely not. So they were right, you know, from the beginning, it was more than just, I was a little surprised because I thought, okay, I, I'm not getting on a plane. I should be okay. But so that, that is, that's our, our new reality. Obviously there are no games, so I can't go watch somebody do what I write about them doing. And, you know, what we're doing now is we're trying to, I mean, we're finding that it is it is possible to get people on the phone. People have nothing but time right now. So it is it is possible to get to break through and, and get some people. We're, we're trying to think of sort of different ways to, to tell stories and, and knowing that, that the typical scene-based stories that we write are going to be much more difficult to, to come by now. So it, it's new and it's it's different. We're, we're trying to uh, we're trying to adapt and, and you know, hope that I mean, hope that it doesn't go on forever, obviously. But when we are able to go back out and do what we're normally used to doing, that it'll be safe to do it. Absolutely. Um, Tim, when when you are talking to athletes, what are you hearing from the ones at various levels, high school, college, professional level? about how they and their families are being affected by this pandemic? Science! 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 Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes! Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes! Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes! Woo! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. Well, I think that uh, most of them are are being like all of us. They're being smart about it. They're they're doing their workouts at home. They're they're uh, you know going back to this. The most fresh story in my head right now is a Jordan Love story, and he was working out for the draft. They had his quarterback coach had deals with different high schools or colleges to be able to use their fields. Well, when the campuses all shut down, they tried to find a public park the public park closed. I mean, these guys are all, you know, if, if you think about how much is closed right now, it's even difficult for them to get in a gym. You know, they, they if, unless they have a gym in their own, in their own home, which a lot of, obviously the, the, the established players do, they're just like us, you know, they're trying to figure out how to, how to stay in shape. Um, so yeah, it's it's different. I think that you know it's interesting to see a lot. Obviously, a lot of people in sports have been affected by this. Had parents or grandparents die. So I think that as far as the typical thought that these guys feel they're they're invincible, that's that's not something that's happening. I'm getting the feeling that they're all very very cognizant of of things and and understand how serious it is. 
Absolutely. And, and not having access to the, uh, to places to work out even ends up, you know, Tom Brady was just in the news kind of getting caught throwing footballs at the local park and you know, it affects all yep. everybody. Yes. <laughs> so Tim, what are you hearing from various sports organizations and leagues about the guidance that they're getting from health departments regarding a planning process for, for restarting sports leagues and getting games going at some point, whenever that is. One thing I've, I've sort of been struck by doctor is just how uh, non unified <laughs> things are in terms of, of all the states having different rules. So, you know, Major League Baseball is looking into having a, a season in Arizona and maybe Florida and and trying to take advantage of their spring training sites and putting the players in a hotel and locking them away for four and a half months. And, you know, I, I want baseball to be played more than anyone probably, but I don't need you know, Cody Bellinger and Clayton Kershaw to be imprisoned for it. You know, it can kind of be, we can be reasonable about this and say, okay, I know there's a lot of money on, on the line, but I think it's a little inhumane to separate people from their families for four and a half months so that we can be entertained. But, I, you know, what I'm hearing is that, you know, from, I, I think the NBA is going to have to cancel their playoffs. I just don't see any way at this point that they're going to be able to do something equitable and in time. And I think that that it's interesting because if you remember back, I mean the, the game between the Thunder and the Jazz really really was a catalyst for a lot of our shelter in place orders and and way, the way places really responded to this because when Rudy Gobert tested positive, it was like, "Oh my gosh, this, you know, think of all the different people that could have been affected had he been at the arena at the time." So it's interesting. I think that the sports, they, they understand the unique position they're in, that everybody wants some entertainment. But I also think they all they, they get that throwing people into a, a situation where um, any outbreak would end up stopping it all again just really is something that they're going to have to take into consideration and something that they really have to be smart about. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's important to realize that this is, you know, it, it is an industry and this is people's careers. And it's it's also on, you know, entertainment. And we don't want to be putting the athletes at risk either. I was just talking with Kevin Pierre-Lewis from uh, the Redskins about how in what close proximity athletes are when they're when they're playing their sports. So we don't want to put them back in that close proximity and have them be getting infected and potentially having bad outcomes just so that we can get sports going again. Yeah. And there's, I actually want to interject a question for you because it's something I've been mulling around is that in a lot of areas, suburban areas, uh, you know, I'm in the Bay Area, so I see it in places like Marin County and Napa County and, and even other places is that participation in high school football has dropped significantly with the onset of knowledge about brain trauma. And I'm just thinking, if they go a year without playing high school football, how many programs do you think will will just cease to exist in 2021? I, I, I'm very curious as to how many parents would actually put their kids out on a field um, after this. You know, I think you could actually take that question and apply it to all sports. And I think it really comes down to the question of what what does 2021 look like? You know, do we have a vaccine? Do we have so-called herd immunity that gives us some reasonable safety? But I, you know, as a parent, I would say the same thing about 
soccer or basketball or anything where you're coming in, you know, contact with somebody else, if we don't have this virus under control, you know, we could be looking at more than a year of, of missing it. And, uh, you know, I think it's less about the pipeline because a sport like football is, is so popular. And especially in some States, it's kind of like the, the, the national pastime for, you know, in Texas and things like that. I don't think it's going to go away but we really need to be thinking about this, uh, about what, you know, how safe it is to really get back to those types of sports. Yes. Because yeah. I think we focus a lot on how many people f- are willing to go sit in an arena or a stadium next to, you know, 30,000 other people. And we don't think so much about how it's going to affect the lower levels and how it's going to, you know, trickle down to, to athletes. Yes. And all those athletes are going to go right back home to their families and their grandparents. And so we need to be thinking about that type of spread and, and the effect there. So I was going to also ask you about as sports kind of we think about restarting them again, whenever that is the challenges of of doing that in different states and even different cities, because different governors are approaching things differently. We're hearing about Georgia and, and other states talking about opening some of their industries and economies back up. That's going to create an entirely different set of challenges with this kind of varied approach to this, because these sports teams, especially the professional ones, are are playing all across the country in different states, and and even the different municipalities have different rules around this. Yes, and it's it's going to be their biggest challenge is that they are national entities, and they are you know obviously some of the if you look at a place like Georgia or Florida or you know the, some of these states that are. Um, seemingly making a statement out of opening before anyone thinks they should, those states obviously are probably first in line to say, hey, you can come here and finish your season in the NBA, you know, or use college arenas, don't allow fans, however you want to do it. Um, Same with baseball. They've got, Florida's got, as we talked about, all the spring training facilities. Um, But I think that national aspect of these sports leagues is going to inject some sanity into it and some some care and concern. I think they're going to be uh, they're going to be very aware of how many different people they're they're impacting. And and, you know, if you if you put every baseball team in Florida and Arizona and you have an outbreak, then do they have to stay there? If they go back to their homes, they're going back. You know, it's just it's such a hard thing to get our arms around. I mean, I, you know, I think we've all become armchair epidemiologists at this point. And, and it just seems like that the, the possibilities are just so the possibilities for failure seem so overwhelming that it's going to really have to be a considered uh, approach to getting these games back. Right. And, and then you get people like Clayton Kershaw, who who's very well known and is, and is very much a family man and has already spoken up that he doesn't want to be gone for four months and quarantined in a different state where he can't see his family. And so you're going to get that pushback from some big time athletes who just aren't really willing to do that. Definitely. And I, you know, I've talked to friends about this. How many, how many baseball players would simply not play? I mean, I don't see someone like Albert Pujols, who's also a family man being in particularly excited at his age to do that. You know, I mean, these guys, they all have the means to not play. You know, they, they don't they don't need the money. They don't they aren't trying to make a career. There's I just think there are a lot of people, Mike Trout, whose wife is due to have a baby in August. He's said the same thing. Like, what, what am I going to do I, if I'm 
if I'm quarantined with my teammates, do I get to go home and be there when my wife has a baby or not? You know, it just, what are you giving up for essentially our entertainment? Right. And the star athletes, uh, you know, who've been in the league and have big contracts have that ability possibly to say no, but those who are on rookie contracts or early in their careers probably don't have the means to, to say no. And, and, you know, then that creates a whole other opening for people who otherwise might not make a league to come up from the minors if there's gaps on teams, right? It's just, it creates a lot of really interesting yep. scenarios. And it, and it creates, it creates a fascinating decision for the, the players unions in the various leagues because they have to, right. they have to stick up for the Clayton Kershaw's and the, you know, the, the rookies. So it, yeah. Really interesting. So Tim, we're seeing musicians performing from their homes getting together to do collaborations for charity, even doing entire concerts from their homes um, to, to bring people together and to not bring two people together virtually um, and to raise money for worthy causes. And there was recently an NBA 2K20 video game tournament amongst NBA players that was broadcast on ESPN. Are you seeing other similar activities among athletes, either for everyone's entertainment or for charity purposes that are happening? Yes, I think there's, uh, you know, we had our our horse tournament, the ESPN did, and and I sadly don't know whether it's over or not because I watched the first day and that was enough for me. Um, It just didn't really, it didn't really scratch that particular itch in the way that I think a lot of people expected it to. Um, But yeah, I think that a lot of athletes are are trying to put their their workout videos online or you know try to keep a connection through social media with their their fans and and athletes are very active with the with charity on this uh I don't know if you saw our our local friend Marshawn Lynch passing out masks and PPE to to hospital workers the other day in Oakland and um there's a there's a lot that's going on a lot of athletes through their own foundations um are doing things and 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 also doing things that we don't know about. You know, there's a lot of a lot going on out there that's been, uh, that hasn't, hasn't really been publicized, uh, by certain people, but yeah, I, I mean, I think everyone, everyone's in it together. So I think there is a, there is, you know, the athletes do feel a connection to their communities. Right. That's great. I'm going to throw a little bit of a random question at you here, Tim. Uh, do you have any ideas for either, entertainment purposes or for charity that you want to throw out there as a, as a challenge for athletes to take up and, and and try to do, or, or even any particular athletes you would want to see get involved? Well, you know, I, I, I've been thinking a lot about how this taking kids out of their school environment and, and particularly athletes doesn't have to be particularly athletes, but that's what we're talking about and how many are going to be if we have minimum three months, I guess, of being taught remotely and and back at at home and not having the structure of classrooms and and practice and and games, how many are going to be lost along the way there? Like how many how many kids who essentially go to school because they get to play sports? How many of them are gonna are gonna go back? You know, there's gonna there's gonna be some attrition there from people that are gonna be places that, you know, we, we don't want them to be because sports has, has been the, the, the glue that's held them, held them and, and their families. Um, so, you know, I, I, it's more of a, like a big thought, like, I don't know how that would, what the mechanics of, of helping 
those kids because you can't uh, maybe maybe it's uh, maybe it's figuring out a way to do socially distanced practice like baseball. You could do some things with baseball that um, then again, I think, OK, everyone's touching the same baseball. So maybe that doesn't work either. So <laughs> I don't know what the answer is. But, you know, I, I think about people like C.C. Uh, Sabathia, who recently retired, who has a great charity where every year he gives, he and his wife give every uh, student in the Vallejo Unified School District in the elementary schools to give them a, a backpack filled with school supplies. And I don't know whether somebody like C.C. could give these kids a backpack filled with workout gear or something that they don't have. Maybe it's maybe it's shoes, maybe it's strength bands or something or, or, or lightweight. So I don't know. I'm, I'm just throwing it out there as a, as a, an idea that that could be something that would be helpful and, and also keep the connection that, that these young boys and girls have with their sport. Absolutely. Those are all great ideas. And if there are any athletes listening to this or people who have connection with big time athletes, let's get those gears turning and thinking about what we can do to support the youth in our communities. And you brought up the connection to sports and school you know, there's, we talked about it on a different episode of this podcast about all the children who rely on school lunch programs and sometimes breakfast programs just to be fed during the day, and also the social inequities that are coming up as a result of this pandemic. You know, students who don't have access to books or don't have a computer at home or don't have internet access and, and really get hit hard. So hopefully there's some, some things in there that, that can be done to help support those students. Tim, I, I've been asking all of the guests on the show if there are any small businesses or restaurants in their community where they live that they might want to give a shout out to with the idea that the business owners and, and the workers at these establishments are all really suffering financially during this pandemic. And a lot of mom and pop single owner restaurants that, that aren't big chains really aren't getting supported by the government. And, and really, if, um, we just think about doing a little bit of takeout or even I was just speaking with a chef yesterday. You can apparently purchase eggs and flour and some of the things that are hard to find in the grocery stores often buy those at, at restaurants. So are, are there any um, establishments in the area where you are that you'd like to give a mention to? Yes. Well, I'm in uh, Fairfield, California, and uh, I'll, I'll give you three. I, I like uh, one is called the Napa Deli, which is a is a place that uh, has always been very community focused. They they fed the the firefighters and first responders during our terrible wild wildfires. They have done some innovative things with takeout dinners uh, for families that I understand have been doing great. They've been selling out, so that's a good thing. But they are definitely a small business that's that's worth uh, worth supporting and worth keeping around. My buddy Ed at Big H Deli in Cordelia is uh, <laughs> is a longtime favorite. Uh, he's got great Mediterranean food, and uh, he's just a good guy. You go in there, and you you just feel better about the world just by talking to him. And then the other one is a is a little kind of brew pub called the Slanted Tree, which has lived in this community for more than twenty years, and we've been clamoring for something like the slanted tree for a long time because for for the longest time all we had were were poor chain options and uh some young guys got together and started a a, a real low-key kind of brew pub gathering place that's that's really done well and and now they're they're hit with this so um you know we're trying to to do what we can to to support them and you know it's uh it's kind of hard because you're you 
your inclination is to just hole up and take care of yourself and, and cook massive amounts of food that can last a week and so forth. And we've done that a lot too. But those are the three places that off the top of my head, I would, I would uh, hope are around when, when this ends. Absolutely. Thank you for that shout out for them. We'll make sure they, their names get into the show notes and we'll hit them up on social media so they get some attention. And right. really, I'm, I'm, we're bringing this up so that everybody in their own communities, wherever you are, can think about supporting those, those small businesses um, to help keep them around following this pandemic. Tim, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to join us and tell us a little bit about your life and career and, and give us some perspective on what's going on in the sports world. And it just, you know, we're on this podcast trying to educate people from a science and medicine standpoint with credible information about the pandemic and also wanting to talk about how this pandemic is affecting different industries and, and people's careers and kind of talk about the human story behind it. So we appreciate your perspective. Oh, I'm glad to do it. Thank you, doctor. Absolutely. Have a good rest of your day. Okay, Tim. You too. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. If you have questions about COVID-19 that you'd like discussed on the podcast, send an email to info at arslanga.media. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Be vigilant, but remain calm. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.